This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. Today, I'm talking to Peter Zaremba, lead singer for garage rock legends, The Flesh Tones. This episode will land a week after The Flesh Tones' birthday week, with Flesh Tones lifers Peter Zaremba, Keith Streng, and drummer Bill Milheiser all celebrating birthdays in the same week. Since 1976, the odds are that if there's a venue, there's a Flesh Tones gig somewhere. The documentary, Sweat, the story of the Flesh Tones, America's garage band, tells the story of a band that won't take no for an answer and would continue to gig despite all odds. There was a time in the 80s where they were the cool underground thing and Zaremba hosted The Cutting Edge on MTV. Here in New Orleans, they played insane Mardi Gras shows that kept going until they were playing on the bar, playing in the crowd, even playing out in the street outside Jimmy's as the sun was coming up. But they kept playing until those fans got married, got families, and got the kind of jobs that made it hard for them to stay up and see sunrise with the flesh tones. I've seen shows on a weeknight in the 90s with them where, unfortunately, too many of the crowd were there for the opening act. But the flesh tones kept going through those years and still now, wherever there's a gathering of the rock and roll faithful, the flesh tones will find them. They're heading out on tour to France and Italy pretty much as we record this. They'll be there in September and October. And as we talk about in this interview from 2021, they do a lot of business outside the US. In our conversations, Zaremba also talks about Canada and Mexico. I've interviewed Peter a few times, and sometimes he's done it pretty much in kayfabe, playing groovy garage rock singer slash hipster, and not letting a real person show through as kind of as much as you like to when you're doing an interview. There's a little bit of that here, but he's pretty good in this conversation about playing straight, talking not only about Stocking Stuffer, their Christmas album from 2008, but also about record collecting and their musical world. They were a band I loved and saw every time they came to town, back when I lived in Toronto, and certainly once I moved here to New Orleans. But there also came a point where I wasn't sure I could really keep watching them struggle to deal with half-filled rooms and records that felt kind of dutiful. This conversation, the last time I saw them, made me feel a lot better about them, though. It's pretty clear now. They know who they are, They've accepted who they are, and they know what they draw these days, and they seem to have made peace with that. I think that comes through in this interview, so we'll get to it. To start, I planned to play one of their first singles, American Beat, but many of the early records that made their reputation aren't in the streaming world, including the Upfront EP, the Roman Gods album, and American Beat. Instead, we'll go with American Beat 84, a revved-up remake for the soundtrack to the B-movie Bachelor Party, starring a young Tom Hanks. We'll hear that, then pick it up with Peter Zaremba of the Flesh Tones on 12 Songs.
to start with, what is the story behind your new single, Mi Enyaste Bien? Okay. It, it, it's, uh, I'm glad that you've asked this question because, I, like I said, I'm here to answer all questions. And I just happened to be here in Tijuana uh, promoting this, the, the new single with uh, some of my friends here in the music world. And, uh, okay, Man Genyaste Bien is one of these songs. It was in my head since about 1985. Um, it came to me one night. Uh, while I was working on the Cutting Edge TV show. And at that point, I was still st uh, staying at the Tropicana whenever I'd come out to work on the Cutting Edge. I was laying in bed at the Tropicana, and the song kind of started working in my head, right? And I, I couldn't get it out of my head until I totally arranged the whole song <laughs> in my brain. And even then, I just couldn't stop hearing it over and over and over again. The problem is it just sort of stayed there. And, uh, I, you know, I had the idea, you sure fooled me in English. Right. And I was never happy with the words. They always seemed kind of uh, more trite than, than usual, <laughs> you know, for rock and roll. <laughs> even, 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 you know, that's one of my problems. I, I find sometimes I say, oh, no, you can't say that. And then, I, you know, later on, someone has a big hit record. I say, oh, yeah, of course you can say that. You know, nothing's too, nothing's too trite in a way. Right. You know, it depends on how you say it. But anyhow, it fi finally about a year or so ago, it occurred to me the song had to be in Spanish. You know, that the whole thing would have a lot more impact. There's something about rock and roll in Spanish that seems to have more authority, you know? Interesting. It just seems to carry more, carries more weight. It seems more important, you know? It's more of a, it's not a, a pronouncement is a pronuncio, you know, <laughs> it becomes, it becomes a, you know, it's like a, it, you're declaring a revolution or something. So it, uh, so I, my friend, uh, Jorge explosion, uh, from Spain, he's in the group doctor explosion. And my other friend, Jimmy Garcia, who you might've seen starring as me in one of our recent videos, uh, Alma como un hombre. Uh -huh. which is also in Spanish. Okay, that's, uh, anyway, we worked on the lyrics. We recorded uh, the Flesh Jones happened to be in Gijón, Spain, where Jorge has this great uh, analog studio. We recorded it like it, the morning we had to leave to go someplace else. And uh, I worked on the vocals a little bit more during the pandemic, you know. And uh, I, I think I was very happy with the way it came out. Since we already had Man Ganyaste Bien, Keith Strang, our guitarist, who's always more a little more visionary than me, said, hey, why don't we do uh, both sides in Spanish? And we happened to have recorded a cover of uh, The Shadows, Keith, uh, Cliff Richards in The Shadows. Uh, uh, what's that? We, we, I keep thinking in Spanish now, decimos yeah. It's not decimos yeah. It's we say yeah. Ah, uh, uh, Yeah. Uh, uh, which is a great shadow song. Uh, and we, and again, I said, well, you know, Cliff Richards, that version's pretty, uh, you know, ultimate. Uh, why do a, 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 you know, not such a great version of it, you know? So we said, okay, we'll do that in Spanish too. So uh, we wound up with it all Spanish uh, 45, which made Keith very happy. Is, 
is that is is Spain and Spanish speaking countries is, are those good markets for you? I would have to say that Spain itself is our best market in the world. Uh, mostly because Spain is a diehard rock and roll country. Right. Uh, you, know, you know, and once people, once uh, Spanish like you, they like you. You know, and uh, it's not like okay, here's a new record by somebody else or something. They tend to stick with the uh, artists that they like. So uh, we have a great audience there. You know, it's not huge. But we can go to Spain usually uh, for almost a month and play a different city every night and uh, have people come see us. Oh, that's great. So Good for you. That's great. It is great. You know, and I've been trying over the years to work up our, our Mexican market, uh, which is where <laughs> it's very small. Uh, but, you know, there's like real rock and roll believers here. Right. You know, so there's like a great club here in Tijuana. Uh, we can we can play in like Mexico City, and usually if our friend Danny Amos, uh, Daddy O Grande from Los Straight Jackets, he's he's a big star here in the rock and roll world. Oh, interesting! So when he helps us out, yeah, Danny from uh, Danny Amos from the Straight Jackets, um, if he help, if he shows up with us, then we're guaranteed an audience here. Uh, oh, that's great. No engañaste a Pancho, no engañaste a Nacho, pero me engañaste bien. Eres mala gente, me engañaste bien. Yo creía en ti, me engañaste bien. Eso no fue hace, me engañaste bien. Lo imagine by now you know that you probably know you, you probably have an have a very good idea of where where the pockets of true believer of true rock and roll believers still are in certainly in America yes. and probably in a lot of the world yes yeah you kind of need a dowsing stick you know <laughs> to go around <laughs> go around the world but yeah, you find them and, you know, it's, it's usually like the work of like one person in each city. You know what I mean? Like he'll, he'll build up the core, but usually it depends on one person. Take Hamilton, Ontario. I think Lou Marinaro, you know? Right. Yeah. Lou, uh, uh, this ain't Hollywood and all that stuff, you know? And plus he was always, the, you know, in every city there's somebody, um, uh, it's always a core of believers. You know, I, I used to joke that, uh, you know, I said, well, someday being a rock and roll band is going to be like being in a polka band, you know, <laughs> it's like you're playing to a very specific, uh, a very specific, but loyal bunch of people. It's not quite that bad. Right. You know, uh, I mean, rock and roll songs still have a mass market. Uh, I just don't know how to find my way to it. Right. But, uh, but we have, you know, we have the flesh tones. Yeah. Um, we're, we're pretty happy, you know. Um, and like Keith always says, one of the reasons that we've—I uh, maybe I'm jumping ahead here—but uh, one of the reasons that we are 
still going and still happy with what we're doing and still have an audience is we keep making records, you know, like we always have a new record because we always have new ideas. And it's not like a lot of bands that say, okay, well, their last record was in 1985 and they're still going on that, you know, um, uh, we'd probably strangle each other if that was the case, you know, well, uh, so we, you know, we have new records, yeah. uh, like Mangan Yesterday Bien, you know, or, uh, the face of the screaming werewolf. Right. Uh, you know, uh, and our Christmas record, but, uh, we'll get, yeah. I will let you ask about yeah. that. We'll get to that in just about a second, but I was, but as you were talking about this, I was thinking, you know, there's points where as a fan and as some, as a writer, I can look at a band and kind of say, and part of me says like, why put out more records? But at the same time, if I think about it, like, I have to imagine that aside from the couple of hours on stage, I would imagine the best part of being a musician is that moment when you have an idea that you, a musical idea you love. That's definitely, that's one of the reasons I would assume you got started. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. One one of the best things is not just having an idea in your head but then it's like being a painter or something right you have the idea or maybe you don't quite have the idea so you sort of mush the paint around on the canvas a bit but having turning making it from the idea to reality right making it something you can actually listen to that others can listen to that's not just in your head that is the greatest rush you know and being in the studio and recording is really a lot of fun. You know, I, I won't say it's more fun than being on stage and screaming for an hour because that's a certain release in itself. But uh, it, it's great. It's a great feeling. And from the very beginning, my dream, I know my dream was, and I'm sure it was the same with Keith and everyone else, was, wow to make an actual record, to make something you can look at and hold and play was like a dream, you right. know? So when we first started, um, we first signed with Marty Thau on Red Star Records in like 1977 or whenever it was, as soon as he, we had like a rough mix or something of a song, he was like really hooked up uh, with the Brill Building people because that's, that was his roots, you know, in the 60s, he made millions of dollars, you know, uh, with Buddha Records and Morris Levy and all these uh, criminals. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, so he had, he showed me where the guys used to go to cut all their, their uh, acetate 45s, Angel Sound. I always remember Angel Sound. And there'd always name. be, you know, guys always coming down from the Brill Building to, you know, with their demos and stuff to cut acetates, you know, to send to people because that's how they, they could hear it and play it for people and, and see if it was any good. Right away, I cut acetates, like before, while we were still mixing, just to hold a record that we of our song in my hand, you know? Yeah. Uh, I was just so amazed. I'm still amazed, you know? I was, I was still like, wow, a record, you know? Yeah. It's a great thing. Were you guys like vinyl collectors? I mean, at the point when you weren't a collector, you just bought stuff when it wasn't. I, 
I was I was more the, more the collector of the band, okay, and more the curator guy. You know, um, I was a pretty big collector, but I wasn't. Um, I never considered myself like a a, a total uh, 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 um, what do you call it? discophile. You know, I I mean I used to okay. Me and my friends used to drive up to Montreal to buy records and stuff, you know, and smoke pot or whatever. Right. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I I you know I was a, a above average record collector. You know, I was like uh, you know hunting down Yardbird records and Kinks records and stuff like that. And kept up with like. Uh, you know, with a lot of the British people like Roy Wood, what they were doing and things like that. And then as soon as the punk rock thing happened, of course, you know, I was hunting down, you know, in those days you could buy every punk record because it was only like a dozen. Right. So, you know, go to Bleaker Bob's and, uh, and, you know, buy the latest, you know, oh, wow, record by the Buzzcocks. That's a new band, you know, buy that or something like that. Uh, funny story a very proud moment of mine was when finally the flesh tones first 45 came out a uh, critical list in American beat. And I had, we had our, our pigeonhole in bleaker bobs behind wow. the counter. So he had all the four, he had all the 45s, you know, yeah. and there was like X-ray specs and there was, you know, everyone coming out the Ramones and, and, and there it was Devo's first record was in there. There was the flesh tones, American beat. Yeah. And uh, I was so proud, right? I, with flesh, my band, Flesh Tones, had a pigeonhole at Bleaker Bob's. So one day I walk in there because I used to do my, uh, as, a, as a, yeah, I was a collector. So I used to do my record run, going to the village, all the various, uh, you know, village oldies and stuff, see what I could find in the cutout bins. And so I walk into Bleaker Bob's and Bob's there and he's, I'm chatting with him as, saying, you know, how happy I was that he had the pigeonhole with the Flesh Tones new 45. And as we're talking, he starts looking at what I'm holding. And he goes, oh, what do you got there? And I said, well, you know, I, I'm in the village, so I go, you know, I do my record run. And he goes, you know, the bands, he starts, his attitude starts changing. You know, all the bands, I do everything for them. I, I'm promoting all the bands. I'm giving them, the, you know, this and that. And then they go and they start buying their records and all the other stores. And, you, they, and he's and he's like, you know, he's doing this slow burn, but then he's getting out of control. Before you know it, he's screaming at me in a crowded store. Everyone's <laughs> like looking. He goes, pardon my language. He says, yeah. fuck the flesh stones. Fuck you. Fuck. He grabbed all the 45s out of the pigeonhole. He ripped the label off it, the flesh. He threw it on the floor. He threw all the 45s on the floor. He starts jumping up and down on them, screaming, get out of here. Get your records and get get the hell out of my shop and don't come back. Wow. I never went back. I never went back to Bleaker Bob's. Oh. And he wrecked all those 45s. Those are collector's items. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, no one ever said that he wasn't a nut. Right. But, uh, <laughs> wow. You know, I, I think that that kind of love of love of records that I would always imagine, like I walk in, I always thought whenever I'd go to a flesh tone show, I'd look around and like, yeah, he's got a bunch of records. Yeah. He's got a bunch. You could just see everybody in the room were people for whom there was a love affair with vinyl yes. and that there was a, in that, 
these were all people who, if you went over to their house with a six pack, they would dig out this cool, weird, you know, cool, weird songs you hadn't heard for the next two hours. And, yeah. and it felt like, like flesh tones were, you know, the quintessence of that. They, they were the band. You were the band that also similarly had that stack of records. And you know, I had to stack. I had to, yeah. I talking about going over with a six pack. I, I hate to keep going back to Hamilton, but one of those nights was we played in Hamilton. I think the first time ever. And we went over to the, the Socorro brothers house, mm -hmm. Rob Socorro yep. and his brother. And they would, they, we, that's what we did. He had the records and he was pulling out, you know, teenage head and whatnot. And, uh, I'll never forget because he had a big poster from the movie Door to Door Maniac, one of the f a few movies starring uh, Johnny Cash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the Door to Door Maniac. And that night, I had an audio hallucination. I, if, if you drink enough beer, I guess, you know. Enough Canadian and beer. It, it can, yeah, enough blue, you know. Yeah. So we had enough blue in us. And uh, maybe there's some rum involved too. But, um, I had this audio hallucination that I wound up recording years later a rock, like a uh, fuzz rock version of Some Velvet Morning. Cool. The, the Nancy Sinatra, uh, Lee Hazelwood song. And that wound up on our first Love Delegation album. Right. So uh, if you know that, then, yep. which, which somehow that record produced my only real, one of my only real hit records. Uh, I'm going to knock you out. Became a huge disco hit in Spain. Ah. And when I finally, when I finally got to Moscow years later, people came up to me and said, Oh, your version of some velvet morning with the love delegation was a huge dance hit here in all the rock and roll clubs. Oh, in that's Moscow. Brilliant. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. so someone was listening. Yeah. <laughs> One of the reasons I wanted to bring to was talking about record collecting and about vinyls. For instance, I look at Stocking Stuffer, at your Christmas album from 2008. Yeah. And while there are Christmas songs on it that are ones people would know, you know, like obviously like a Run Rudolph Run, there's also things that I have to admit, your version of Six White Boomers is the first time I heard Six White Boomers. Uh, I didn't know that, and I and I have not heard and anyone else cover it, nor had I heard Rolf Harris's version until after I heard yours. So, so, so start since I've just mentioned it. Tell me the story of Six White Boomers. Okay, uh, we're pretty good friends with uh, the Hoodoo Gurus, uh, most uh, particularly uh, Dave Faulkner. Uh, from the very first time they came to America they invited us down to see them play. And he said, you know, one of the main reasons the Hoodoo Gurus got together was because of our band, uh, listening to our records. And uh, it inspired them, I think maybe in the same way that listening to the, the Ramones inspired people. It was kind of like people were sitting around waiting and saying, wait a minute, if the Ramones can do this, right? I can get up, I can play my, you know, that's what the flesh tones is. Okay, listen, come on. At this point, we've been talking about it for five years. Let's put the band together finally, you know? So anyhow, uh, we've been very good friends with uh, Dave 
and Keith was talking to him, you know, from Australia. They talk regularly. And he talk, Keith told Dave that we were involved in this project. And Dave said, look, you got you got to do this Rolf Harris song, you know, uh, Six White Boomers. Um, and so he played it for us. And I liked it. But then I said, look, if we're going to do it, Keith, why don't you sing it and let's do it like ACDC? You know, we'll go all, we're going to go all Oz on this, you know? So that was our little innovation was, was doing it like, uh, and I think Dave, I think Dave does a little vocal, uh, he, uh, says something over the telephone in the beginning of it or something. Right. You know, if there's a guy with an Australian accent, it's Dave. Oh, okay. But what the heck is a boomer anyway, Dave? A boomer is a big old male kangaroo, mate. pretty happy with the way that turned out and uh the thing with you know i i always like the christmas songs you know there's some really great ones you know uh i think bobby pickett's monsters holiday is is wonderful right you know i I never i never i never tire of listening to monsters holiday you know especially at the end when he asks igor what, is, what does he think of Santa? And Igor says, oh, Santa, good. You know? <laughs> well, S- Santa is good. Um, the label came to us and they said, look, why don't you guys do a Christmas record? You know? Right. Uh, in fact, in particular, the president of the label, you know, again, a good friend of ours, uh, Glenn Dicker, said, why don't you do a Christmas record? So I said, well, let me think about it. So I was talking to Keith. And I said, Keith, what do you think? And, he, and Keith said, yeah, okay, as long as we're not making fun of Christmas. Cool. So yeah. I said, you know what? You're right. Yeah. Let, let, you know, this, like, a lot of people have got, made these sort of anti-Christmas songs and stuff. And, and I said, yeah, who's, who's, who needs that? You know? Yeah. Who needs, you know, if people get sad at Christmas time, they don't need to be made more sad. You right. Know? It's like... It's like, get it, get with it. You know, it's like Santa Claus, you know, he, he beat the Martians. Uh, <laughs> why not? You know, why? like we did. I think yeah. we did the song from Santa Claus versus the Martians. Yes. But we made, but we did it more like the Ramones would have did it or something. You know, we, we punk rocked it up. Right. we like that too. Yeah. That wound up being a gift that kept giving because around four years ago, T-Mobile at Christmas time, some brilliant, brilliant mind at the PR department decided that they were going to use that song for one of their national commercials. Wow. Cool. And so I have, I have to say for about three weeks, checks arrived at my house. <laughs> like, like every, it was like the gift that was giving. I said, and I was like, Santa Claus, I do love you. Excellent. You know? 
You know, I love I love Santa Claus now. You know, yeah. You know, I always think that's really important. I, th- you know, I. It's funny, you know. There's points where you hear people make Christmas records, and and they almost like. I remember at one point X made a Christmas song, made a Christmas single. And I, at one point, asked uh, John Doe about it. And he's kind of said, you know, we didn't really want to. The label wanted us to. And you can really hear that they didn't care. And that they've, you know, he's basically disowned it. And it's, and it just sort of is a, as an, it just sort of feels unfortunate. It feels like, you know, like X is a band I never remember thinking them, they were of them going through the motions and it is the closest yeah. I've ever heard that band to go through going through the motions. And one of the things I liked about about Stocking Stuffer is that, you know, whatever Flesh Tones do has, you know, kind of Flesh Tones passion for it or and the ability to throw yourself into a song is kind of the starting feels like the starting point for you. Thank you. Uh, th- once we started it, we were very enthusiastic, you know like super enthusiastic. And, you know, I had always had a few ideas back in the back of my head, you know, to do certain songs. Uh, you know, of course we wanted to do, uh, you know, a nice sprightly version of our, our style of like Run Rudolph, you know. Sure. But other than that, we didn't, um, uh, we didn't mind too many of the, of the typical things. You know, maybe Hooray for Santa Claus from uh, Santa Claus versus the Martians. But at least, you know, we did a different style, you know, you know, we, right. we did a very punk rock. Um, but uh, Kenny said he always wanted it to, to write a, a, a very reverential Christmas song, not reverential, personal. Sure. You know, Canadian Christmas. Right. Right. Very, very, uh, a very sweet, personal song, you know. Um, we, we really were very enthusiastic about the project. Super Rock Santa is yeah that that just sounds like could the flesh tones do like a super rock anything like a super rock sofa uh a super rock side of uh, side of beef is that just the song there's a song sort of a sound that the flesh tones can lay on anything and make it into a rock and roll uh, you know well, a big rock and roll thing <laughs> obviously uh yeah well if it became a super rock santa you know then it's like a super rock style yeah. You know, although Super Rock Santa has a nice ring to it, you know, yeah. it's a, you know, Super Rock Santa, you know, it's, it comes off the tongue nice. And yeah, it, you know, obviously it's a story just waiting to be told, you know, obviously it almost wrote itself. Uh, you know, uh, we yeah, we give Santa the Super Rock treatment that he deserves. Yeah. You know, he's no square. <laughs> <laughs> No, so yeah, <laughs> I think uh, yes, that that could have been Super Rock uh, Sammy, yeah, or, uh, or Super Rock uh, Sandra, right, or you know, but it, it, it's Super Rock Santa only, yeah, you know, he, he gets it and it's his. He wears a bright red suit.
I right? Like, it feels like it feels like the flesh tones wake up, stretch, brush their teeth, and make that beat happen. That feels sort. That feels almost that's, like the like the flesh tones default mode. Is that accurate? Uh, a good default mode. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of like in the '60s. I was listening to the radio, and I liked Sam the Sham. You know, so I liked Wooly Bully, of course, and then I liked uh, Juju Hand. And then by the time Ring Dang Do came out, I said, wait a minute, these songs all sound the same. But I had, I thought about that and I realized, oh, that's a good thing. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> you know, ah, I, like, ah, I like that. The, uh, it was kind of like, you know, by the time the kinks got to I Need You, you know, I wanted more songs like that. You know, I was, first I was thinking, oh, these songs sound the same. But no, it's just because no one else's songs sounded anything like those. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's like someone speaking... Uh, 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 Arabic, you know, and say, well, that doesn't, it sounds like Arabic. How come it always sounds the same? Well, it's because it's Arabic, you know, right. uh, it's the mode of, it's the mode of language. So I don't mind that being a, uh, a, uh, you know, yes, our hallmark sound, yeah. our default mode. Yeah. If that's our default mode, I think that's a pretty damn good one. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And I will, uh, I will employ it, uh, whenever necessary. Yeah. Needed. <laughs> was there anybody in the band who had to be convinced, or or ha or was harder to convince to do this? No. Oh, really? <laughs> really? No. Oh, that's great. No, every everyone in the band was like, "Oh, cool, Christmas record." Yeah. You know, as as long as we're not making fun of Christmas, yeah, I'm on board. That everyone said the same thing. You know, we didn't want to do like. Uh, uh, so this is Christmas, you know, like the John Lennon thing, right? Yeah. Or uh, I mean, yeah, you know, he's getting some, something off his chest. I, I can understand, you know. But yeah. uh, uh, I have to say, as a big Kings fan, I particularly disliked their Father Christmas record. You know, I, uh, a friend of mine, when it came out, sent it to me as a Christmas gift, and I played it once and never played it again. Um, I think it was. Uh, I think I think Ray Davies could have done much better, right? You know, he could have found uh, something in his heart. You know, uh, he should have watched the Christmas Carol or something. <laughs> and he, he, then he's got he's got to choose. You know, is he going to be uh, Jacob Marley or is he going to you know the young Marley or is he going to be a reformed Scrooge? You right. know, got you got to make the choice. Yeah, uh, it occurred to me that you know considering you know, your love of records, I wondered why didn't the Christmas album happen sooner? No one asked us simple. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's, it really, I mean, you know, we, I had Christmas songs in mind, but I was thinking maybe we'd do a, you know, a, a 45 or something, but Glenn said, look, you guys got to do a Christmas out. He saw it in us. Right. You know, maybe he saw that we would be, uh, uh, earnest. Yeah. You know, be earnest about it. Are there songs that you tried to do or tried to think of how to make a flesh tones version of them and realized they just didn't work? Yeah. Um, not for this project uh, actually. Um, but for, so that does happen where it's, it seems like, uh, it, quite frankly, uh, sometimes our, our transformative qualities as mu musicians, isn't up to it, you know, uh, especially in the early days when we really weren't that uh, proficient. 
Uh, I, I, I kind of long for those uh, days a bit, you know, our, the lack of proficiency, which was uh, kind of good. We used that was a an asset. Um, but yeah, for this project, I got to say that we had a limited budget. And I would have been very, very happy if we had a little bit more money and had time to record maybe two or three more songs. Because I definitely had ideas uh, for more Christmas songs. And Keith had a few more ideas. So, Alex, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, you see a, a stocking overstuffed. Excellent. Uh, uh, in the future. There's definitely some 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 cool ideas. You know? This is something you go back to you go back to Yep Rock on because just the, just just in the last week I've got that was it Megan Trainer who put out one last year and she's added three songs and putting the album out again and I just got another artist uh, Ingrid Michelson put an album out about three mm -hmm. years ago has added three songs to it and is putting that back out and that's a you pretty common thing Alex, to have people make a deluxe version that comes out about three to five years later. So time is right. You know what, Alex? What? I never thought of that. You see, that, that's, I have to say, sometimes I, I, sometimes I don't think out of the box, you know? And uh, the new improved stocking stuff, yeah. right? Stocking overstuffed you know? is really is, is a... Is a overstuffed stocking. Yeah. Over, you know? I think that's a great idea. Maybe record four more four tunes. And I am going to bring that subject up. Although right now we're a little close on to Christmas. Yeah. Um, you never know, though. The True. flesh tones, if, if anything, we're, we're known to to act quickly. So uh, uh, once I, the thing happens, I remember speed that, connection. Speed connect. There you go. Everyone should have one. <laughs> that was that, that was the. I think they wound up using that motto. Yeah. yeah. I'm surprised they even went for the title. Yeah. But. Uh, but uh, yeah, speed connection, everyone should have yep. one. the rock and roll Christmas songs that made an impression on you growing up? The rock and roll Christmas song that made an impression on me? Um, th there was not that many, really. You know? Um, maybe I felt there was a need for more. You know? Sure. Like, I never really, like, when I was really little, I never heard Run, Rudolph, Run. I, I didn't hear that till I was a teenager. Um, I'm trying to think, you know? Um, I, think, I think, like, the Four Seasons had a good one. Um, and like I said, by the time I was a teenager, the thing was more like doing anti-Christmas songs, right. you know, like, uh, like John Lennon and, and the Kinks thing, uh, both of which I did even, um, even, uh, uh, what is it? Jethro Tull had one Christmas song, wow. which is kind of, uh, I mean, it's a nice song, right? you know, but it's, it, it had the same message like, uh, oh, you shouldn't be enjoying yourself, you know? And right. it's like, what, you know, come on. Some people, it's like the only day of the year they enjoy themselves. Why take that away, you know? Yeah, exactly. But I'm trying to think, what are some of the other songs on Stocking Stuffer that are covers? Um, I mean, I certainly have 
I never heard six bi- uh, white boomers. <laughs> I assume Chris was with Bazooka Joe. Is that yours or is that a cover? Oh man, is that ever mine? Okay. Uh, I mean that that goes to my you know Bazooka Joe thing. Sure. So that's sort of like what you were saying about a uh, default mode, right? Maybe I have a, a Bazooka Joe default mode, right? Where it's like okay, Bazooka Joe's Christmas, uh, 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 what's that? Bazooka Joe's holiday or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, friends of Bazooka Joe. Yeah. Uh, I'm not done with that yet either. Excellent. I, I have, there's more Bazooka Joe tunes, you know. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, like, that song, you know, is one of those songs that, you know, like a, like a number of flesh tone songs. If I don't have the label, the, if I don't have any of the notes in front of me, I could, I could easily imagine this being you know, some, some semi-obscure 45 from, you know, from like 1966 or something. And that was like a regional that got like some regional radio in in different parts, somewhere in the Northeast and or something, you know, you'd find that in some secondhand store in the cutout bin and you'd say Christmas with Bazooka Joe. Why in the world would someone write that? You know exactly right. <laughs> yes. Everybody's talking about You know what? The Beach Boys had a few nice Christmas ones. You know, those are good. I heard those when I was a kid. I liked those. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm trying to think. There was, a, um, you know, it's when I got older. I heard like, you know, uh, Nathaniel Myers, Mr. Santa Claus. You know, right. uh, a great record. You know, we we yeah. did it just because we liked the song. You know, of course, you can't top him. No. Um, it, there's there's more Christmas stuff we got to do. Yeah. It's true. So, um, is it possible to do a Christmas a Christmas a rock and roll Christmas album without Run Rudolph Run? Uh, it hasn't been done yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know it's a natural. You know, uh, and uh, Barry, you know he's got this way, the way the words flow off his tongue. You know, and. I, I particularly have always loved the line where he says, Santa, make him hurry, tell him he can take the freeway down. The way he goes, you know, da 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 you know? Yeah. It's so beautifully musical. Yeah. I think one of the best, again, for him, it's no throwaway song. Right. You know? I mean, that's a great song. Yeah. You know? He, you know, he you know, always what, had such a great eye. He had such a great eye for 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 lyrical details. Yes. I have to admit, like Saber Jet, just always yeah. pops for me. It's yeah. you know, at the Saber. time. At the time, first time I heard, it, I just loved how how exciting that sounded. And as time yeah. has passed, I now love how that's such a specific time of a specific yes. moment in American military history. But it's that it's the yeah. kind it's the kind of detail. Much like the, um, oh, the refrigerator in, uh, um, 
you never can tell. Um, yes, stocked with uh, yeah, it's a stocked limit yep. uh, with. Uh, I was trying to remember what it not is. Not with booze. No. You see, and he doesn't put booze in the fridge. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. No beef. Yeah. It's like Cokes and uh, Seven Ups or whatever he puts in there. Oh, oh yeah. It's, that's a nice, yeah. Well, you know, the, the the guy the guy had a way with the English language, yeah. you know, and about popular life and, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, so, again, you know, Run Rudolph Run, not a throwaway tune, you know. He's got some of his swingingest lyrics. Was it hard on a song like that where first he lays such a clear, uh, such a clear blueprint and so many people have gone at it? Was it hard for you to find a way to sort of to f- figure out how to make a Flesh Tones version? Um, actually, no, because what we did was we covered it the way, uh, the way we do covering just about everything. And that is sort of like where basically like a a 1966 garage band and we're covering everything like with like we think we're like the rolling stones or the yardbirds right so that's how we're going to cover everything you know uh, there might be a harmonica solo in it you know uh we're playing it like we're trying to be like uh maybe not as good as the stones but maybe like maybe the animals trying to do chuck berry or something or not even you know what i'm saying yeah one of the one of the lesser bands, though they're all great. Uh, but yeah, we approach everything that way, or at least that, you know, doing it as if this, the Stones were tossing it off well, before they got really uh, good at what they were doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe, maybe, you know, one, like their first rehearsal yeah. or something, you know? Thanks to Peter Zaremba for the time and the talk. Flesh Tones will be on tour in Europe in September and October. Watch the official Flesh Tones page on Facebook for future tour dates. There's a good chance that if your city has a bar with a stage in the corner lit by neon beer signs, you might be next. In the spring, 12 Songs celebrated 100 episodes by looking back at the show and its growth. I had planned to do an episode or two of retrospective stuff and ended up with five that collect some of the high points from the interviews. I was really happy with a lot of the episodes when I went back and listened to them again, and there's a lot left worth listening to. But these are a great place to start if you missed the first few years. You can go back and find those wherever you get your podcasts or at 12songsofchristmas.com. Thanks to AF the Naysayer for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. We'll finish with one more from the Flesh Tone Stocking Stuffer. This is Canadian Christmas. Talk to you next week.